five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back. Episode 10 of Above the Board Take a Gander Edition. Hell I yeah. am one of your hosts, Jeremy. I'm Bradley. Double digits, baby. We made it. All right. I, I honestly didn't think we were going to go this long. This is pretty cool. Yeah. This is, I mean, we're also doing it like, what, once every two weeks? So, yes. Episode, I mean, we need 16 more episodes to get to a full year, roughly. So. Yes. Which, uh, yeah. And I, I think right now uh, the schedule is pretty easy to manage with yeah, what we're doing. I think so. Um, I like the, uh, the two different formats that we're doing so far. It's been a, an enjoyable ride. Yeah. I man, this has been really fun. This has really been something that has been uh, something that I've wanted to do for so long. So now that I'm actually finally able to do it, I'm able to do it with you, um, able to kind of put my voice out there, put your voice out there. It's it's great. Yeah. So uh, this one, as everybody knows by now, if you've been a, a longtime listener, or at least a couple of episodes, you know that our Take a Gander episode is where we kind of share something that we like. Uh, media-wise for each other to consume, and then we get back together again two weeks later, and we sort of, or actually a month later, I guess, and we discuss it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one is a very unique one. We've done music, we've done I, I want movies, we'll call them movies, <laughs> and then we've done uh, the meta one of podcasts, but this one's unique. I don't even know what to call it. I think this one would be entertainment i guess i mean that's entertainment i guess i mean there's okay on one end sports entertainment quote unquote Mm -hmm. um and on the other hand you have uh not childish but but um yeah entertainment that can be consumed by all ages and all kind of backgrounds and whatnot yes yes so I guess we should probably tell the audience if they didn't listen to the last one what we're talking about today Mm -hmm. um so Bradley gave me 4.5 wrestling matches to watch. Now, if you listen to the last Take a Gander episode, he actually gave me four episodes or four matches of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And But I'm stupid. He, I'm stupid, and I, I forgot that one of those matches was actually part of a two-match two series. So, Yeah, I don't know if you're stupid or you're very clever and you snuck in a fifth one, I think is what really happened. But I will say that with the email, uh, I really, really appreciated the background and sort of what was happening as somebody who doesn't watch wrestling. Now, I'm not saying that I liked it or didn't like the wrestling, but I really liked the email. So we're we're not going to spoil the rest of this yet since I'm not a wrestling fan as of now or then. So we'll see what happened after 4.5 episodes. For sure. And um, then you, so this is kind of funny. Um, I had, had told you, I think just before I started recording that I was going to yes. give you the wrestling. So there's no yes. way that you could get out of it. Uh, no. So that had, le- that had left you scrambling to suggest something. And so uh, you had suggested two episodes by Bob Ross uh, for his joy, mm-hmm. uh, joy painting and then two episodes from Mr. Rogers' um, Neighborhood. Um, specific episodes though well yes specific i don't know if you said that which ones they were in the the last podcast that's but true email you, i may have not have in the in the email itself you sent me you, you did specify which ones you wanted me to watch the very first ever of uh, both of those and the very last one ever of both of those both the bob ross yes. and the mr rogers um which turned out to be kind of like a, a funny um kind of like a dichotomy between the two because i suggested these like super like you know 
the people literally beating each other up for <laughs> material wealth in the form of uh, <laughs> wrestling t- wrestling titles and belts and, and, and accolades. While you rec- yeah. while you recommended to me just like some super chill, calm, like yep. enjoying life, uh, figuring life out and, and life lessons and that kind of shit that's super calm and that peaceful. was intentional. So yeah, yeah, that was intentional. I, I didn't know what to like. I really was racking my brain after you told me that. Like, what what possibly could I give to you that is similar? And those two kind of came up. I felt like the time frame was about the same. It was about the same time frame investment. Now, granted. Uh, and we talked a little bit um, off mic about this, but we both had to watch everything. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, four or five hours worth of content that we both had to to watch through, take notes on and get ready for this uh, to make sure that we're prepared to have a, uh, I think, what is going to be a really fun discussion. I think so. I think we'll be all fun. right. So I can't wait to hear you shit all over <laughs> one of my favorite things. <laughs> I, you know, who knows? Um so actually, without further ado, I'd actually like to start this one out sure. with your first pick. And I did this time. And, and again, long-term listeners will I say long-time listeners. You know, it's episode 10, but it's over a couple of yeah. months. I Three mean, it's months. four or five months. Yeah. Um, so they may remember that I don't do in order very well. Um, I usually go out of order and kind of go at my own leisure. You did recommend in the email that I watch them in order. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did that, and I will discuss them in order, just as you presented them to me. Right. Okay, so without further ado, here we go, the boys. First match, boys and girls, is let's do it. Kenny Omega versus Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, I think Tomohiro, right? Tomohiro Ishii. Although I think Tomohiro Ishii, Ishii, I think because he's got two eyes, but. Okay. Most people will call him Ishii. You probably recognize in the match the commentator kept calling him Ishii. Yes. But. Yes. They talked about that a little bit. So uh, I've got I've got quite a bit of notes on this one um, <laughs> because it was the first one. Uh, so the first thing right out the gate, the music and the floor, the flare at entry is exciting. Like I. I used to watch wrestling a long, long time ago, back in the WWF days, and then again in, like, I guess the earlier was a WCW and then WWE, uh, back with Goldberg and all of those. Oh, and, God, yeah. You know, yeah, and I, you know, I remember when The Rock was young, and I remember, you know, I actually went to a live wrestling match when I was a kid. Um, I saw The Undertaker take on oh, The Ultimate Warrior. That's been so, so And I was cool. in third row. That's yeah, so, so cool. I. You didn't know this about me, and no. I didn't want to tell you beforehand because I didn't want you to ever, like, I didn't want you to think that there was any way that I could like this. <laughs> so, growing up, I was a big wrestling fan. I loved it as a kid. Have an older brother. My dad was into it. It was cool. Um, so, right off the bat, and I just haven't watched it in years. Mm-hmm. So, right off the bat, the music, the flair at the entry, like, I am so excited watching it. It's like, oh, right. I do remember enjoying this part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of gets you pumped up. So, and then Ishii comes out. Uh, Ishii. <laughs> this guy doesn't look healthy. He doesn't look strong. He, I don't even know what he looks like. I, he is not somebody who I would look at and think, well, you're an athlete. Like you're, you just got done eating a baconator from Wendy's, and you're showing up in this wrestling match, dude. You're gonna get your ass kicked. So 
that one, that part right off the bat kind of bothered me. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, great. It's going to be lame. So do you think the same thing? Is, he's, is he pretty, would you say he's kind of unfit compared to other wrestlers? So this is something that's been definitely over, like, the last, like, probably 10, 15 years, especially in non-American promotions. The idea getting away from just big fucking beefy jacked guys those are like those are the only people who can have any source of credibility in the wrestling world that was sort okay. of like the belief especially back in the attitude era where you seem to really have kind of and before that as well with the whole wwf and the territory area is that what that was called the attitude era yeah that's like rock was big in the attitude area era um goldberg I, Goldberg confused me because he's, he's so fucking old. He's been around forever. Like every time someone posts like a Goldberg match, I'm like, oh, it's probably from like his, you know, the Attitude Era days. And no, it's like from years before. So he, who knows when? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm not super knowledgeable on like the whole history of wrestling. Okay. What, what little I do know, I've, I've picked up from you know comments on Reddit or whatnot. Okay. But um, that idea of like super only super jacked, tall, big beefy meaty men can be wrestlers like that idea is really faded away and so um i mean as you saw in later matches like you have more of the 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 slimmer trim still muscular but like not like just jacked like ultimate warrior type people so um tell me your ishii like when i first saw him i definitely was like oh he's he's not jacked that probably means he's gonna be a big fucking hoss and just like like so, I had the I had the advantage of like knowing beforehand like what type of wrestler he probably would be, um, so it didn't okay. come as too big as a shock as as that big of a shock to me, uh, seeing his um, physique compared to like someone like Kenny Omega or or uh, other yeah. people. Um, but uh, no, I could I man his I don't know if you caught his nickname. His nickname is like the Stone Pitbull. It's like, yes. Very fitting. Yeah. Very fitting. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, and and you know that's something that right off the bat that was the next part of my notes was the announcing is really what sold that entire match, and you had kind of mm-hmm. talked to me about that before in some of your notes is that the announcers tell the story, and I think a good announcer versus a bad announcer will make a, a huge difference, and the two announcers in this match were phenomenal. Like I was I was wrapped in it from the get go. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were humorous. They they would tell they were telling the stories but they were doing it sort of like we do on our podcast they're just conversationalist but they're adding all of this extra stuff into it that you're like oh okay cool like yeah and it just like for instance they're kind of like dms in a way like game masters um, yeah they're sort of telling the story that the players are are doing their thing which i thought was kind of interesting which makes sense why you like it so much or at least one of the reasons why you like it yeah um, You're right. A good commentator really does break. It either makes or breaks a match um, because the whole job of a commentator is to get the, the competitors over. Um, okay. Which is like the term for like getting them um, to look good in the eyes of the audience. That's yeah, like it makes sense. So that's like the, the whole job is to, to get the people. They're selling over. it. They're yeah. selling it. Absolutely. Um, so it's funny. JR, who's... Um, I don't know. He's like the older dude with like the, the country draw. Um, okay. You watch the American uh, commenta- commentary, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, he actually, he works for AEW now. You probably recognized him in some of the other clips or some of the other matches. Yes. I um, thought it was the same person. It's such a sad story because like he's really gone downhill <laughs> in the last couple really? of years. Yeah. Um, there's, it, it really depends on the match. Like he was a huge fan of 
uh, of definitely of like uh, the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers. Uh, so it worked out that way. That those are the other matches mm-hmm. I had suggested. But uh, if he doesn't care about the the wrestler, he just he he can actually shit on them. Like he gets to that point where he's, oh wow, he starts and it's really unprofessional. It's really unfortunate. But um, yeah, that I was interesting. That worked out that that match was uh, was made it, by the it was. It was good. Uh, I noticed, like, uh, it's so dramatic. I mean, everything they're talking about, the wrestling, all of mm-hmm. it, it's so dramatic. It's so over the top. And in the beginning, so I have this in parentheses, it begins with a headlock. Yep. Quotation marks, headlock. That is not a headlock. <laughs> not in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it's a literal headlock, not what a wrestling headlock would be. So it's kind of like I've rolled my eyes. All right, whatever. This is what it's going to be. Um, and then they started doing the rope work. And in that match, I really appreciated the, the uh, choreography. Mm-hmm. You could see it. It was good. It seemed practiced. It seemed like, you know, like, like that's obviously, I hope we're not, you know, breaking the fourth wall on professional wrestling for anybody. But, you know, it's not real. It's choreographed. <laughs> and uh, so I did like that. And I like that Kenny was really a ham like the whole time he's just hamming it up and mm-hmm. you know and that does harken back to those earlier days with you know old hulk hogan and and whatnot and i, I really enjoyed that yeah um uh, one of the announcers <laughs> it cracked me up he said about i think he said it about ishii it was like he's so tough he makes a dominatrix give up so yeah i yeah the uh, one of the moves that really, like, every time I'd see it on any of the matches, I still look at it, and I realize it's fake, but holy cow, I don't care fake or not. I would never want it done to me as a suplex. Even all these years later, that is such a beast of a flary move and just mm-hmm. looks painful regardless. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things, okay. like, just about any suplex, while it is, like, a, a work in the sense that the person taking the suplex who's going to be taking the damage from it knows it's coming. Like they, they know that that's going to happen. Yeah. But you're still getting slammed on your fucking back yeah. shoulders and sometimes neck and head. If, if it goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, so it fucking hurts. I imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I'll actually, I'll actually talk about that. So I happen to have sort of an inside on a wrestler who never quite made it professional, mm-hmm. but did wrestle with people like the Road Warriors back in the day. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, uh, my dad used to work with them, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but I, I've got some information about uh, wrestling and some of the mishaps. I'm um, excited. So, so one thing I thought was interesting is when they jump into the crowd. And mm-hmm. as I'm watching this, I'm kind of like, now in this match specifically, they get into the crowd. And I was trying to remember back when I was a kid. And I remember we were in the third row. And this was not a televised event. There were no managers in this event. It was just they came to the uh, the Hershey Park or the Hershey Arena mm-hmm. um, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And when the Undertaker and Ultimate Warrior were fighting, they were they came out and they were, I think it was, I think the Undertaker was rubbing the Ultimate Warrior's face across the railing. <laughs> and, you know, we're... We're three rows back, so we can see, you know, you can see the hand and how he's kind of trying to protect himself and whatnot. And I didn't think about it then. But as soon as they got out of the crowd, the first thing I thought was, I'd be pissed if I was on the other side of the ring. I ain't seeing shit. <laughs> so that kind of, like, I mean, as a, as a theatrics ordeal, it's kind of like you're, you're, um, 
your troop going backstage and doing half of the lines like, hey, come back out here so we can see you. Right. Uh, so that would annoy me. And, and actually watching all of them, I think every one of the uh, matches went out of the ring except for one. And I won't spoil why they didn't get out of the match, mm-hmm. but all of them went out of the ring at some point or another. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be a common thread. Yes, especially when it comes to um, AW, which is very... So AW was created by a lot of stars from New Japan, like the Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, um, and Hangman Adam Page, and, and so on and so forth. Okay. So it definitely takes a lot of inspiration from um, that uh, that promotion and that brand, um, as well as just like other a couple other like more of the indie promotions in the U.S. So the idea of like going out into the crowd like it's 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 popular in a lot of wrestling. Um, generally, though, I think and I I can't say for certain, but I assume so. Usually, they have like a big screen like kind of behind the ring, opposite the hard cam, uh, or, okay. or or not necessarily opposite the hard cam, but like um, where the underneath where the uh, wrestlers come out that has like a big projection of which camera is like on. That shows, and I would imagine some uh, some places have the big uh, whatever the hell that uh, jumbotron or whatever they mm-hmm. up top. I imagine some of them will play it because the one we went to, it was a basketball and ice hockey rink. Okay, uh, so it had a jumbotron. Um, I I just can't. I mean, that was damn like thirty years ago, so I can't really remember uh, whether or not it was on. Yeah. Um. So this next part, oh. Uh, the kicks in the back in that match, oh my goodness. One, there was a lot of them. That seemed to be the move of choice there for like overall. There was just mm-hmm. a lot of just, man, that was a hard kick. I mean, that was, it didn't look like it was pulled very much at all. I mean, that was making serious impact. Yeah, so that's something that I think I really enjoy about New Japan is, cause like, they have like, um, one of the one of the types of wrestling that they have there is the strong style, which is literally just mm-hmm. like it's it's supposed to look like harder strikes, um, puncher offense, that kind of thing. But it's like generally legitimately stiff. Like where they, they they will forearm shiver you, they will kick you in the back. Like they don't fuck around over there in that promotion. And I love it. So like yeah, <laughs> while it's still a work, it's it's just like the suplexes where like yeah, you know you're gonna get forearm shivered in the chin, but you're still gonna take a fucking forearm to the chin. Like, it's going to hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So, it, the chops as well. I'm sure you're going to... Actually, I don't think they really chop that much in this match, but... Oh, we'll talk about the it. The chops, man. The chops. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the DDT. They did that one in this one. And that... Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. The, the flips out of the ring. Like, just the timing of that uh-huh. is is amazing and the other two matches obviously it gets even more into that the whole flipping out of the ring so i won't go too much into that right now but yeah that ddt was wow yeah i was actually going to say something about the the leap that kenny does out of the ring so Mm -hmm. i don't know if you recognize that do 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 that they do on the mat and that the audience starts Mm -hmm. clapping so when kenny omega i don't know the timeline kind of gets wonky for me but when he first turned heel or uh, a bad guy in, in mm-hmm. uh, wrestling terms, he kind of took on the persona of the cleaner, where he's literally cleaning up New Japan and getting rid of all the trash and the, the miscreants or whatever, right? Okay. So heavily inspired by, like, Terminator. So there's a lot of his older video packages where he would, like, they had, like, a video package prior to his, like, entrance 
where it's like ripped straight from the Terminator, you know, time portal opens up and then it goes away and it's just him like kneeling. So, and like the sunglasses and all, it's like heavily inspired by the Terminator. So that's where that do 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 comes from, from the Terminator okay. soundtrack. And so that's like, that's one of the spots in his matches that he generally has. Like anytime someone is, you know, thrust out of the ring and he's still in there, people just like, like they want to see it because it's fucking exciting. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so the fact that they teased it once and then did like actually managed it is mm, good. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, it's a crazy move. It is. Um, So (laughs) the end of this match. Okay. We're not going to talk there's about the, part... the table spot? No, there's there's plenty of other matches. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'm not at the end of the match yet. Give me a second. I want to talk about the biting on the rope. Yes, that's right before when the table he's... spot. <laughs> okay. So that was, that was ridiculous. <laughs> that was absolutely ridiculous. I, I don't know who developed the choreography for that one and when somebody sat in a room and they're like how about man how about when you grab me and i'm up against the rope i bite down on the rope and you can't pull me off because he's a get the fuck out of here get the fuck out of here that was that was probably the corniest moment in this entire match was just like oh my goodness it was so bad i loved it and i was just like just donkey punches has to be done with it but Um, they made up for it with his dragon suplex into the table, dude. Yes. That spot was yes. mental. When I first saw it, I thought yeah. Kenny broke his neck. I thought he broke his neck or his back or something when I first saw that. It looked brutal. Yeah. And and I really kind of like washed over the table just because other matches had a lot more table stuff. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, I think yeah, the thing that tally up. the thing that strikes me the most about that specific table spot is it uses the New Japan tables, which are a lot, like, sturdier. And they just, mm-hmm. they do not like to break. Like, um, the, it's, I don't think that the rest, the, the tables that most, you most often see in, like, the American promotions are necessarily gimmicked, where they're going to break easier. But they, they're just, like, structured that way. Like, they're just, like, the shitty picnic tables, right? The ones yeah, in New Japan. they don't have the metal bar around them like normal office fold-out tables have. Yeah, so the, it just it's it ends up usually being a lot uh, stiffer, and and you can probably find like a super cut of people trying to like slam people through tables in New Japan, and the tables just don't give a fuck and don't break. And so that would be fun. Yeah, it's it's um, that would make me happy. <laughs> pretty crazy. But. Um. Yeah. Yeah, some of these, because I wrote so much in the first one, like, later on, I didn't write it because, like, I already talked about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry over some of the stuff to other ones. Um, the, the announcer at one point towards the end, because they keep doing the two count. The two count, the two count, the two count. Mm-hmm. And that got annoying as shit. Not at, I mean, this one, it was bad. It was worse than one of the other matches. It was like, all right, just either pin them or stop two counting them. Like, just one count them once in a while. Um <laughs> But when the announcer said, how much longer can the, uh, can he take or no, how much longer can this go on? I'm like, yes. How much longer can this, that was 45 minutes. That's not that first one. That was a long time. 
I watched it. it I was watched only like the whole thing. It was only like 35 minutes. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. It, yeah, I watched the whole thing, and I think the whole video clip was 45 minutes. Oh. So the match was 35 minutes long. That was a long oh, oh. match. Yeah, no, you only you didn't you didn't need to watch any of the post match stuff. But I will say, no. and this is not defending it necessarily because it's it, just like most art, it is all subjective and what you want. Yes. But that is generally part of the course for a not even just Kenny Omega match, but like New Japan matches that are like a big deal you'll have a lot of near falls and a lot of counters at the end because it ramps up that intensity Yeah. to where you finally get that finish. Um, and you kind of see that in some of the matches in AEW that they produce. Like, uh, I think uh, one of the pa- uh, one of the, um, the Lucha Brothers matches were probably like that. Um, yes. So it kind of comes down to preference. I could totally understand why people would be, like, frustrated with, like, come on, like, fucking end it. Like, you're, like, but I... I I live for that shit. I live for that because it's just really? it's it's just like a counter counter counter. I I get that in my books all the time that I read. Like I love that kind of shit. So okay, well I did. And, and going past, so he says that the one time. You know how much longer can it go? Mm-hmm. I was laughing. I was like, I even wrote on here. I was like, laugh out loud. Agreed. <laughs> then the another the other announcer said, I thought it would have been over a long time ago. I'm like, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but he said it like he was surprised. I wasn't. Um, so. <sighs> What? At one point, they start doing this whole pointing thing towards the end of that match. Like they they start pointing at each other, or like it was weird. It it just happened a couple of times, but it it was definitely noticeable in there. I'm trying to remember, like the wrestler, like Kenny and yeah, and the wrestlers Kishi. were were pointing. Like I don't know. Oh, it wasn't the it was Kenny. He like does a little gun thing with his hand. That's part of his what gimmick. the hell is that? Part of his gimmick. Yeah, it's dumb. Eh. It doesn't make any sense. I think it's <laughs> it's, I, it, it's probably I'd have to like do some research on it or something. It's, it probably is like a, a callback to his like cleaner days where he's cleaning up and, and killing off okay. the bad people, the people who aren't worthy or whatever. Okay. And so he's like picking his target. It's, it's just like Babe Ruth pointing out you know, yeah. before he's going to hit. Like, All right, it's that kind of shit. Well, he does it a lot. Yeah, he does, he does it a lot. Um, I think it's also um, I think it's also supposed to like signify to the audience that he's going to pull do a V trigger, which is like his running okay. knee strike. Um, yeah, probably something along the, those uh, lines. I don't know. What in the hell was that jump to leg headlock backflip thing? <laughs> uh, that was awesome. <laughs> I don't know the actual term. Is he like a Frankensteiner or a Hurricane Rana? I, I can't remember the exact term, but it's it's fucking. That was mental. awesome. Yeah, I was like one. Just the choreography on that alone would have had to take a while, and with. Ishii just not seeming like a very fit person at all. I'm just really blown away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, I hate to spoil this for all the listeners that are not going to go watch this match. Kenny does win. Kenny wins. And I was actually happy about that. I was I was kind of like fist pumping, like, fuck yeah, Kenny, get it. <laughs> um, but then, the belt situation became overly dramatic. Who the hell was that guy that came and stole the belt? What the fuck? I have no idea. I've not seen the end of the match. I've only ever watched the match. So, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. At the end, <laughs> this guy comes out, and he just grabs the belt out from behind him and then stands there, and they, like, have this big stare-off, and it's very intense. They're looking at each other. Then all of a sudden, he comes back over, and he hands him the belt and, like, gives him a hug. I'm like, what? Who's the who? Can describe the guy. I don't remember who describe the guy the was. Guy. Um, I don't remember. I watched so many of these, I don't know. <laughs> we'll um, never know. Yeah, it's probably I, something that you should watch. It's probably something to forward, like a, a feud or like a gimmick or something. Or a, that, a that's what like I get. Or something. 
Yeah, um, I gathered that, but it was or like somebody he had a feud with before, but now he respects him. You know that. Yeah, it was just it was so weird. And then uh, Kenny gives a speech at the end, which if you didn't watch the rest of that, um, I actually liked it. It was. It was kind of an inspiring sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, anybody can sort of do this thing and just get out there and be kind of tough and be strong and, and really work for your goals and your dreams. And, and I thought about it. I'm like, you know, in entertainment, and we talk about this with being creative, is we're trying to tell a story. You know, we're trying to tell our story. We're trying to inspire other people. We're trying to bring value to people's lives. And even in something like professional wrestling, which is choreographed, and some people think it's completely bullshit, whatever – even in that, and they are telling a story, they still manage in this, at least in this match, to step back and still be very, what I would consider to be somewhat real, mm-hmm. and give something of positive value uh, to the viewers. And I, I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, that's um, um, that's something I really but it was do. cheesy. <laughs> I do really like that about uh, Kenny. Is he he seems to have a very good head on his shoulders, so fan of that so what do you have i mean do you have anything else to add to the kenny and ishi match um the only other thing i was gonna why do you like it so i i just am a huge fan of omega like i i really really like omega i think he's a great storyteller in the ring his in-ring work is great like just he's very subtle as well it's like not super drawn out and like obvious all the time so like you have to really sometimes read between the lines I really like that about it, him and, and the work he's able to put on with other wrestlers is just phenomenal. He's a great mind for wrestling. Um, it's it, I love that explosive style of just like from zero to hundred super quick, like, you know, standing to V trigger, then suddenly, suddenly they're on his shoulders and he's about to do his finishing. Like that kind of shit. I love, I live for it when it comes to wrestling. Yeah. Um, and that's probably why I like so much. I like, um, Ray Phoenix and, and, uh, pentagon jr like so much they're just they take that to a, the next level um the only other thing i was going to bring up with the match uh which i didn't so i wrote this email before i actually rewatched these so this was mainly from my memory okay. um okay. so uh when i wrote the email i kind of did like a little like blurb about the one-winged angel which is um mm-hmm. purely splurging on my part to just tell somebody else about wrestling because i love to talk about it um, okay. If you don't know, the One Winged Angel is Kenny Omega's finishing move. Over the course of like a decade to like twelve or thirteen years that he's been using it as his finisher, no one's kicked out of it, as long as he's the one who's doing it. Um, he has kicked okay. out of other people doing it to him, like which happened ended up happening in this match. Ishii at one point got him up and did the One Winged Angel on him, which that's like a huge thing in wrestling is like you don't take other people's finishing moves. It's like the greatest yeah. insult to 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 perform a finishing move on somebody else especially if that person is the one who normally does that finishing move. So it was a huge yeah. insult. And the fact that he was able to kick out just like proves that he's the master of it. Um, so I just love that, that subtle storytelling of like, like it's another good example of the, the subtle storytelling, I should say. So um, I have watched so many of Kenny Omega's matches in new Japan. I think I found like a, someone posted on Reddit, like 25 of his matches over the course of oh, like wow. four or five years. Um, running from like 2000, one of his first ones in 2014, all the way to like 2019 before he left to AEW. So I watched all that, and so it, it's just, and the the match I shared with you wasn't even the best one. Like he has amazing, oh. like some matches that are way, way, way better than that one. So why did you send that one instead of? I think it was one the that was easy, way better. I think it was the easiest one to get into for someone who's never watched 
Because a lot okay. of the enjoyments from his matches comes from, like I mentioned in the email, the callbacks to previous matches, mm-hmm. um, like through spots and, and moments. Um, like I think uh, in, I want to say, the match before this one that he and Ishii had, I think he... Mm-hmm. Tried to do the one wing angel and he couldn't, he couldn't get it off and he lost or like one of the matches before. So like just the fact that they're able to do that and then his matches with Okada, Kazuchika Okada. If you ever got like a free afternoon, like literally a free five hours afternoon, to watch those four matches they put on, fucking barn burners, dude. Hour oh hour. I'm not joking. Sixty minute long matches that keep your attention Jeez. the entire time. It's crazy how he's able to do this. That's why I like that match. And I think this match okay. was a good introduction to Kenny Omega. I, and I, for New Japan, there are some matches that he actually did a match with Ray Phoenix and AEW that I was very close to suggesting instead. But I wanted to show off New Japan's style because um, that is my favorite style of promotion and, and camera work and okay. overall. So Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Well, that was... The Kenny Omega and Tomohiro Ishii match. 30 minutes later. And then we we rebuttaled with Bob Ross, A Walk in the Woods. Yeah, so I just watched these last night, so pretty fresh in my brain. Okay. I don't have much in the way of structured notes. Um, I, I was have a lot on this one, too. Uh, what's that? I said I have a lot on this one, too. Well, you know, feel free to, feel free to uh, interject. No, do your thing. Um... So, when I watched it, I've seen Bob, like I've seen like the you know, the Bob Ross, the typical yeah. like you know I've I've seen it. Um, it never ceases to amaze me how positive Bob Ross is, and yeah. and like genuinely positive. Like I never got the sense that he was hamming it up or putting on a show or acting. Um, like I sometimes got spoiler alert, like I sometimes got that vibe with Fred Rogers. Um, okay. Which wait until the end of the episode when we talk about it. I'm not, I'm not calling him out. I'm not putting yeah. Mr. Rogers on blast here. Um, <laughs> you better not. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Treasure. Not promise. Um, it just, Bob Ross just, it, it almost like, it almost made me sad because he, he really did seem like almost like a tortured soul type of person who was doing the absolute best he could to put even just the bare minimum positivity back into the world. So yeah, um, it definitely hit different. It definitely hit different for me. Um, and then on top of that, amazing artist, like amazing painter, uh, the way that he oh, yeah. just, I literally, I was, I was watching it for like 20 minutes straight. I was like, okay, like I see the, I can see where like he's getting inspired by like the trees. I can see like, you know, the path that they're walking in the woods or whatever. I can, in the sky, I can see that. But he doesn't quite mm-hmm. look right. I look away for a second. I look back, and it's fucking perfect. I'm like, it's a fucking, it's a, oh, yeah. it's a magnificent. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how it. it happens. Yeah, it's what well, layering is what I got out of it after watching these two episodes. It just seems like a lot of layering. Yeah. Uh, did you notice that he throws up there that he picks the colors, mm-hmm. and that he said he was going to keep those same colors throughout the whole season? Apparently, he kept most of those colors throughout all seasons. Yeah, there's a few additions uh, um, that I noticed yes. at the on the last but episode. Each, to my understanding, each season starts out, and I guess they just use the same colors through each season, yeah. uh, which I thought was really neat because if you would want to follow along, you don't have to go out and keep buying new colors. You just have those. Um, 
But did you notice too? Like, so that was the very first episode, mm-hmm. um, and the production value shows it. <laughs> like, it very much shows it. Yeah. Well, it's also it looked from, like it was in somebody's basement. It's also from like the seventies, right? Uh, 1983. Okay, so from the 80s. So, like, yeah, the camera mm-hmm. quality wasn't great, for sure. Yeah, camera quality wasn't great. He seemed really nervous. Um, oh, my goodness. He, like, there was noise in the background. <laughs> like, I don't know if they were in a basement <laughs> there was, and something's going on. There's at one point, I think, after he, like, finished putting, like, the leaves on the tree or something. And, like, you could hear a woman in the background going, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I was like mood (laughs) yeah it it just you know that the production value cracked me up because they they do a two camera uh production Mm -hmm. Um, they do one that sort of shows the ease on him and they do another one that sort of goes over his shoulder and i don't know if you caught but there was a couple of times where he had no idea what fucking camera to look into (laughs) yeah because (laughs) it's it was a wrong like bob what are you looking at like oh yeah there's a separate camera bob you're looking at the wrong camera again buddy turn your head um but you know he was he was in the Air Force for 20 years, um, learned this watercolor technique or, or wet-on-wet paint technique, mm-hmm. uh, decided to go somewhere with it. There was a, a whole bunch of issues with that in the past. And I just, I mean, for me, watching Bob Ross is, it's so interesting. Like, And you kind of brought this up where you look at it, you turn your head, you come back, and now it's something. Like, I, I, the way he layers in, like the path. He puts some bushes in. He puts a path down. And then he's like, we're going to set that path down into the painting now. And by the way, he layers back on top of that. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, it does. It mm-hmm. just drops right back down into there. Interesting. Um, yeah. But I like that he he was telling stories about what was in the painting. Yeah. Like pointing at bushes and saying, like, oh, there's little critters in there. Like I was like, oh, it's so sweet. It's so cute. It's so pure. Yeah. Yeah, he, he really – and he's so calming when he talks. Um, yeah, I just I, – I really have a, a strong desire. I wanted – while I was watching, I really wanted to paint along with them. And there's a part of me that's like, do I want to invest? Like, how much money would it cost me to invest in doing this and see if I can't do – like, maybe that will be one of my goals. I'll just do one season or I'll do, like, five paintings just to see mm-hmm. if I could do it because I don't paint. I've never painted – I. I may have picked up – I don't know that I've ever painted onto a canvas. I mean, I paint miniatures for board games, but actually painting a picture, I don't know that I've ever done that or attempted it. Yeah. And I was – so I had really thought about just – because I've got, like, a sketchbook that I do for, like, a bottom of my maps and stuff. Um, okay. I was thinking about doing, like, you know, sketching along with just, like, a pencil. Um, I just mm-hmm. ended up doing – I didn't end up doing it because I watched them pretty late at night last night. Um but uh, I would love to do like a like a season like paint along if I've ever got free time and free money to do it. I think it'd be really really cool. Yeah, I wouldn't know what the upfront cost of it would be. So listeners out there, if you're familiar with this, if you've ever tried it, what was your success? We'd love to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll give you all the deets later to let us know. Um, you can contact us because I'd really like to know if anybody out there has tried it. I know I, I looked up some interesting facts about Bob Ross, and I'll talk about him more in the next one. But he, um, I guess, 90% of the viewers just watch it, and a lot of it is just for sort of that serene mm-hmm. relaxation process. Yeah, it, uh, which is easy to do. It definitely wasn't like one of those things because, like, I at first I thought like I was afraid that it was going to make me tired and like oh I could just listen mm-hmm. to stuff. Like I. I find myself invested enough 
that I don't think I would be able to to go to sleep watching them. Um, mm-hmm. It's really definitely one of those things where it's like it's just super serene, um, just super calm and peaceful. It's entertaining. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I did as well. And it was nice to see where he came from. Yeah. Um, I, so, folks, that was... Go ahead. I was going to say, it, it's um, kind of an interesting... <laughs> We're just finding parallels, man. Every single episode. Yeah. Uh, it was an interesting parallel... Uh, between what the gist of that whole first episode was that he was saying was like, you know, anybody could do this. Like you just got to put it out there. You just got to take it from your heart, yep. put it on the page and the, the canvas or whatever. Um, it's the same kind of idea, what you're talking about with, with Omega's promo at the end of the match where he's talking about, you know, anybody could do this. You just have to put the work yep. in same kind of idea and same kind of story that they're telling. Um, so I, I'm, I always like that kind of stuff anyways. So yeah, inspiring. I mean, that's the reason we do this. So <laughs> yes. definitely inspiring. Yeah, so that was Bob Ross, the very first episode mm-hmm. in 1983, uh, A Walk in the Woods, I believe it was called. Yep. All right, what's next? Oh. Young Bucks versus the Lucci Brothers. Lucha. Lucha Brothers. I wrote an I. I don't know how to write. <laughs> <laughs> this so. is their um, Escalero de la Muerta at All Out. I think when I, t- I, I was going to say something about this, I got it mixed up. So when AEW first started, or before they got started, they had like one like big multi-promotion show um, okay. with a bunch of like indie promotions and uh, some talent from New Japan, some talent from Mexico. Um, and that was called All In. And then okay. I think their first pay-per-view or first like live event as AEW was the All Out. So okay, I think so. I just said I had said in the podcast uh, when I suggested this, I told I said that it was an all in, but it was actually from all out. Okay, doesn't change anything for you. Right. I just was saying that for the audience because no. I didn't <laughs> want them to be all like, "But you said all in," and push up their glasses and be all weird about it. So they they might they might they're still going to get me back for episode two. I'm sure of it. <laughs> You're gonna fix that or what? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> Deal with it. It's five seconds of Bradley being quiet. Listen intently. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so this one, I enjoyed the opening clip again. Um, the actual clip of them. So this showed, I don't know if you watched that or you fast-forwarded right to the match, but they, they show sort of that opening. Um, the Young Bucks are, it's, it's almost like reality TV. The, the Young Bucks are kind of talking about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it showed the rivalry. It showed their styles. So before I even saw the match, I had an idea of what these two groups were going to do. Mm-hmm. Kind of you know, what their wrestling style was. And and to watch the Lucha Brothers just like that is, it's exciting. I mean, right off the bat, I was I was kind of excited about this. Um, the intro theatrics, uh, all I kept thinking was, who in the hell is paying for all this? It's so over the top. My goodness, like half of the budget of wrestling is in the intro between the music, the pyrotechnics, like, holy cow. Tony Khan, he's the, he's the uh, promoter and the owner of AEW. He, mm-hmm. I think his, his family owns the Jaguars, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Super rich. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he actually just recently uh, bought the rights to Pixies Where Is My Mind for one of his mid-card wrestlers for their entrance. Interesting. So he just doling oh. out the money, dude. So, 
so these two groups is a tag team match mm-hmm. uh lucha brothers are um the mexican uh, what are they called uh luchadors luchadors yeah at the time um, i think they still are they were the AAA tag team title um uh, champions okay so they come in first mm-hmm. and they're wearing these very elaborate masks mm-hmm. now i know that luchadors wear masks that's the whole luchador thing um mm-hmm. but these weren't their luchador masks these were masks for on top of the masks <laughs> yeah um yeah. <laughs> and then the young bucks come in and they're wearing masks <laughs> like what now the announcers do a great job of kind of like explaining what's going on and why the young bucks are doing that and it was sort of like uh screw you we can wear masks too like yeah. and we'll show our face after this um and i like that i i thought that was definitely an interesting part of the story mm-hmm. but at the same time like it felt like an acme cartoon you know? <laughs> like i got a mask now i have another mask <laughs> like it was ridiculous you ever seen that meme the first mask was pretty badass oh yeah no i like I, I like that samurai-esque mask that they wear yeah uh but it reminds me of that meme i think it's from like i think it's like from like a like a porn <laughs> where uh this dude is you know doing the thing with the girl and and then he's like, mm-hmm. but it's like a little red riding hood type, like uh play on it where he's got like, Oh my, he's got, like the, the wolf mask on. <laughs> okay. And he's like, yeah. I have a secret to tell you. I'm not actually a wolf. And he takes it off. And it's like, oh he's, God. Wearing, he's wearing a Skeletor mask and he's like, I'm Skeletor. <laughs> okay. You can one, find it on YouTube. You and I watch very different porn. <laughs> find it on YouTube. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> So, oh, man. Um, the crowd yelling. I loved it. And then I'm just mm-hmm. like, just wrestle. Like, stop with all the theatrics in the morning and just, or in the beginning and just start wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then I have him here, and I quote, the young bucks started out like little bitches <laughs> in that match. They, they got whipped around and ripped around like they were the littlest tiny bitches I've ever seen. When did tag team matches start where everybody wrestles at once? What happened to two people wrestle and then you tag the other? That's what it's, I'm confused. Because it's a, a ladder match. A ladder okay. match does not need to have like the tagging in and out. It's just a, it's just a okay. two on two, climb the ladder, get the belts. Or get the prize, whatever it yes. is. Yes. So I should probably throw that in there. This was a ladder match. Yes. Apparently in this match, you had to grab the 12-foot ladder. There looked like two other ladders that weren't quite 12 feet mm-hmm. because the announcer kept talking about the 12-foot ladder. He's got the big 12-foot ladder. They have to climb up in the center of the ring, and both belts are at the top. So they have to climb up and grab it. Do Does only one person have to grab a belt to win? I, I think, think so. Yeah, I think so. Because there's okay. some points where... But there is two of them up there. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea of this match. Uh, it does not go as easily as planned. Um, <laughs> apparently yeah. climbing up a ladder when two other people are trying to hurt you isn't easy. Who would have thought? <laughs> so, I know. Who would have thought? Um, I did have to call this out. The, choreograph- the choreography is good. Um, the counts on this match are a little off. So you can definitely tell where it wasn't rehearsed as well as what that Kenny Omega match was. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some timing issues where like a turnaround was a little bit f- quicker than what they anticipated. So there was kind of like a pause 
in between. Now, granted, if you're watching this for entertainment, I imagine you're drinking beer, you're having fun with your buddies. I could see this being an exciting thing. You're probably not going to catch that. I'm sitting here with a pad and paper, completely sober, taking notes and watching it with the intention of, you know, really understanding it. Mm -hmm. So it's very possible that I'm seeing that because I am looking for it. Yeah. But it did seem, it, it kind of did take me away a couple of times where I was like, that's oh fair. my God, I just practice a little bit more, guys. That's fair. Uh, and that's one of the things where with wrestling, there's a point where, you know, obviously everybody who's watched wrestling at some point, the, the realization hits where like, oh, this isn't real. They're not actually, this yeah. isn't a real fight. They're actually choreographed. It's when they turn 11. Yes. Um, <laughs> So there's a point when that hit where I definitely fell out of wrestling as a kid. And then throughout my whole like teenage up until like my early adult years, I was like, let's just choreograph. Like I'm going to find those, those spots where it's not perfect. It's, it, you know, there's some, there's mm-hmm. some miscommunication or there's some slight pauses while they're waiting for somebody to get in position, all that stuff. And that would bother me. And I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time watching something that is that bad if i'm going to watch something choreographed i might as well just watch a movie or a show where the camera work can take care of that and the editing can take mm-hmm. care of that and then i i surpassed that even further and i was like well i'm gonna just enjoy it for the spectacle and so with the young bucks and lucha bros especially the spectacle is what they really excel at and so when i'm looking at it that's what i look at the through the lens of of you know this crazy fucking death-defying stuntmen, pretty much, um, yeah. doing this stuff. But, yeah, I could totally understand, like, if you are looking for those those situations where it's not going to be perfect and snug and and, and to, the, yeah. to the nanosecond perfect, um, I could see where it would be not as enjoyable. Yeah, it just, I mean, it didn't, it didn't take me completely out of it. It just, I was noticing it quite a bit, and this match significantly... Um, but, you know, with that being said and, and talking about choreography, you can't knock. Like, I don't think this is sport, but this is athleticism. Mm-hmm. Like, there is no doubt about it. Just like dancing isn't necessarily sport as it's athleticism, and there is something to be said about that. I mean, this is not mm-hmm. this is not something that somebody could just jump into without any practice or without any sort of physical conditioning. Even uh, Ishii, in spite of the fact that maybe he wasn't as physically fit, he's obviously physically capable of doing this. I mean, it's not, like you said, you know, the suplexes, all the flips and everything else. It's not easy. I mean, go out, go ahead, go outside right now and, and try to do a flip and a, just a front flip in your yard. You're not going to do it mm-hmm. um, yeah, unless you've done it before. Like the first try, it's just not going to happen. It's not easy. It's a lot of core. It's a lot of leg work. Uh, and these guys definitely, you know, are have that down. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do admire that. Um, oh, the ladder, the ladder. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk about the ladder. I, I want, I will be happy to never watch another ladder match <laughs> the rest of my life. Um, I found out of all of the matches and I'll talk more about these other ones, but out of all of the matches you had me watch this one by far was my least favorite. Mm-hmm. I did not like the, and this again could be choreography, could be timing, where they climbed up the ladder and then they realized that the guy wasn't quite ready to grab him yet, so they had to pause and then they're at the top and then the other guy climbs up on the other side. And that punching 
we'll use quotation fingers for that. That punching back and forth on the top of the ladder was mo- one of the most absurd things that I have ever seen in wrestling in my yeah. life. Yeah. I I was just like, what? Why? Why are we doing this? Um, but yeah, just the, the back and forth. Now, I did notice there were a couple of times where you know they, they fall off the ladder, they jump off the ladder. There were some pretty cool acrobatics on the ladder. Um, getting hit with a ladder, I don't care how practice and rehearse, that cannot feel good, mm-hmm. um, which is where I'll, I'll throw in some anecdotal stuff. So my father worked in a factory, and he worked with a guy named Tiny. I don't – he's a really big guy, you know, the, the quintessential name Tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was doing some local stuff in Pennsylvania. I don't know what his wrestling name was or anything like that, and this was, again, you know, years and years ago. Um, he had a manager, and they did stuff. Well, my dad said he would come in some days and just, like, bang his head into a locker. He's like, I just got to get ready for my match. Like, I just got to get ready to feel that. Hmm. And sometimes he would come in, and he'd have, like, these bruises all over him. And one one specific time, I remember, was my dad was telling me that he came in, and I guess he was pretty well beat up from the weekend from the matches. And what had happened was it was one of those moments where Tiny was – holding the other guy and the manager was going to come in and hit him with the chair. And what happens is the guy in front steps, like kind of pulls away and then, you know, the manager hits his wrestler in the head and they timed it wrong where tiny stepped forward when he was supposed to step back. And he literally stepped into the swinging chair and it just cold cocked his ass and that's when he was telling my dad he's like you know you can practice and practice and practice he goes but it's just like any other sporting event you know sometimes with all the practice you misstep there's adrenaline going Mm -hmm. um sometimes there is change on the fly and you just you just go with it or you don't quite hit your mark right away says in times like that apparently happen a lot more than people realize so that those times when you see the ladders hit them Man, I feel for him. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of commitment. Yeah. Like any any spot that involves like a ladder hitting somebody, like you can obviously tell it legitimately makes contact. And then spots where people land on the like a suplex onto the floor. Like any like yeah. any spot like that, I just ugh, I clinch up. Chair shots yeah. I'm usually like, ha, awesome. But like ladder ladder shots and, and floor shots. And there was a lot of this one with people falling off of ladders, mm-hmm. being pulled off of ladders. And, you know, a 12-foot ladder, if you're standing on that and your body is at the top. So a 12-foot ladder, it's 12 at the very top. So if you're standing there in your chest, and these guys are probably in six-foot range, you're standing at chest height where your chest is at the top. That means your feet are at least eight feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, I still have a wrecked ankle from eight years ago when I hurdled eight and a half feet off of a porch and landed on my ankle wrong it's still wrecked so for these guys to get ripped off of a ladder at eight feet tall holy i don't care how spongy that mat is and it's not very spongy because that would actually hurt them more (coughs) pardon me um i i was just blown away um but yeah but the thing though that just pissed me off over and over again was the getting up to the top of the ladder and like that one moment at the end where um I think it was one of the young bucks. He gets to the very top yeah. of the ladder, and then he stops, I was gonna, I was and he looks over, and he starts shaking his head. Go ahead. I was going to – I don't I was, even want to talk about it. You talk about it. <laughs> That's something I was going to bring up. Is like, oh, if you didn't like the punching on top of the ladder, you're going to hate that one. Um, so yeah. I'm not defending at all. 
Uh, yes, you are. I, but I, I'm giving more context. Okay. Nick, and this is the problem with suggesting matches to watch to other people who, who aren't super familiar with the characters and the storylines being progressed. Sometimes multi-promotional storylines, like what you see a lot of in with AW stars, because they are such a new promotion. Um, that's the problem with suggesting these matches is sometimes it's hard. Those Those more subtle story beats can be lost on people, uh, which is not uh, decrying anybody's ability either to watch the match or to perform the match. So the Young Bucks are very much like your stereotypical arrogant assholes who yes. who who are the heels pretending to be faces. Like, that's their whole story as, like, a tag team just okay. in, and competitors just in general. So, so many times have they pretty much been hoisted by their own petard, as it were. Uh, by decisions like that. So that decision to, by, by uh, I believe it was Nick Jackson, the younger brother, to uh, not continue climbing the ladder with no opposition to win the match, instead mm-hmm. to uh, <laughs> perform another move and, and injure his his um, competitors and, and, and try to beat them down even further. Like, that shit happens all the time in their matches. So it didn't surprise me, but yeah. when I was watching it back, I was like, oh, Jeremy's going to hate that. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, just just win. <laughs> but he just turns he turns to the side and just starts shaking his head like, no, no, my brother, no, no. It's like, I get, I get the story, oh, but funny. good Lord, that match could have been over 10 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, I love so, it. Yeah, I that it. that kind of frustrated me. Uh, you got anything else to say about this one? Uh, no, because anything else I'd want to talk about would be about the Lucha Brothers, which I'm assuming we're going to be talking about okay. more with the um, the next yes. two matches. So, no, I, absolutely. I I love those two teams. I think they put on great, great fucking matches. Um, that one was definitely one of those matches where I, I suggested it because I wanted to show you the spectacle of just like the high flying. They call them spot monkeys. Um, anybody who's just like <laughs> like you get that a lot with like um, actually Eddie Kingston, which you probably saw a little bit in like a couple of the other matches. Uh, I suggested that match because of the spectacle and like it was different than any of the other matches had a lot of the high flying spots and all that kind of stuff so that's that's why I wanted to to showcase that one um, okay yeah and they did they did have that section in there where they jumped off the ladders onto and I thought that was interesting they jumped off one from each team jumped off uh-huh. to attack the other one on the other team. And that was an interesting choreography. Yeah. It was, I mean, no point, but yeah. it was definitely interesting. There were several moments like that where, you know, one member of the Young Bucks and one member of the Lucha Brothers was performing offense against the other team members. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And that's the thing is, like, there's so many parallels drawn between the two teams. Um, so it's always fun for that kind of stuff as well. Like I said earlier, big fan of parallels here and above the board. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. All right, so that was the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do we got on the menu next? Uh, I guess we'll talk about uh, we talked about the first episode of Bob Ross. We'll talk about the uh, first episode of uh, Mister Rogers. I guess. Oh, okay. Unless you want to do the other one. I mean, I, I watched them that way, but we can do it any way you want. Um, yeah, we'll do it that way. So, first episode okay. of Mister Rogers. Um, I don't want to. I'm going to get crucified on the internet, man. I thought maybe it was, maybe it was because I was watching it late at night. It felt like a fever dream. It felt like a fucking fever. It felt like a fucking fever dream. 
I was like, what's happening? There's at one point he's talking to a, a toy trolley, which I, yes, I want to preface this by saying I understand. It was filmed and and produced primarily with children in mind. Mr. Rogers is talking to mm-hmm. a child. I get it. It just mm-hmm. was fucking weird at points with the uh, talking to the trolley. Then suddenly he's he's there's um there's like a make the make believe neighborhood uh mm-hmm. with the lady elaine who's changed all the 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 area which we never saw lady mm-hmm. elaine don't know who she is i guess we fi- she was hiding i guess we find out she, <laughs> later i don't know she was she was hiding because she moved everything around and her, with magic and, and the king was upset i think rightfully so yes i think the king had every right yes. to be upset uh, there was a man with <laughs> what did you think with a weird like I don't know it looked like it was like cornrows in the side of his hair his hair looked weird to me the man uh, Mister the mailman no Mister something with an N or the guy in make believe yeah the guy in make believe yeah it was walking yeah around. he's um I guess he's like the maintenance man in there but that doesn't happen because I, I obviously while I'm watching these I'm reading about yeah. it uh, it doesn't happen until later but he was in numerous episodes. Um, as the maintenance man. Gotcha. So that comes in later. Gotcha. Well, he's walking around. He's trying to find... Uh, well, he's 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 in wonder because the whole world has changed through magic. Because Lady Elaine did yes. it off screen. And now he's looking for Lady Elaine. He, <laughs> at one point, he talks to... Which, I'm guessing all of these puppets were portrayed by Mr. Rogers, right? Yes. Okay. I, I, it's like, I recognize the, the voice of the first one, the tiger, or the cat yes. or something. I was like, that's just Mr. Rogers pretending to be a, a girl cat. Like it's... Something pussycat. I forget uh, oh, its name. I don't remember any yeah, of their names. There's, yeah, there's the pussycat, there's the owl, and then there's, I don't know, the first animal. It was a tiger or something, right? It was like another mm-hmm. cat. Um, so the maintenance guy goes around talking to all of them, trying to find... Lady Elaine trying to like calm the animals down by saying, you know, just because How did the people the people haven't changed, it's just the world's changed, and that's okay. Which is a good it's a good message. It's a good message. Yes. How did you like when the uh, when he went up to the king and the king was like, "You need to make an appointment," <laughs> and he goes over. I will say I laughed at that point. You're late. I laughed at that point. <laughs> yeah. The king was definitely like, if I were to, if I was a kid and I was watching it, the king would have been my favorite character because he's just such a really? such an unruly asshole. I love it. I love yeah. these kind of characters. He's just like. Yeah, like because he can, he's fucking smarmy. I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, he's the king. I don't remember how that segment ended. Oh, he he passed a note to Mister Rogers, for Mister asking Mister mm-hmm. Rogers to help find Lady Elaine, and Mister Rogers with the trolley. With the trolley, Mister Rogers decides, fuck that, we're gonna go look at some lampshades. <laughs> so he goes and walks <laughs> to go see Barbara Russell. Yes, which okay, I'll, okay, I'll get to that at the end. Uh, so Mr. Rogers <laughs> goes to, to meet with uh, the cougar down the street, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Barbara Russell. <laughs> and looks at her lampshades. That she wears his hat. She wears his hats. <laughs> uh, they're talking about the king and how, like, you know, Lady Elaine changed the world again <laughs> or something like that. And, <laughs> and the lady's, uh, Miss Arslite, she's like, eh, it shit happens, you know. Uh, she gives mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers um, a lampshade. Mr. Rogers awkwardly asks her out on a date at his house, and then uh, he goes back, and uh, he just throws the lampshade in the closet. 
I thought that too. He's like, you let me borrow this lampshade and I'm just going to put it in my closet. How long is that going to stay in your closet? Because I don't think she's coming to your I house. I don't think so either. She's obviously socially uh, awkward. And uh, Yeah, not to mention, yeah, anyways. So, Bat shit crazy. So he puts the lampshade back in there. He, I don't think he does it. I think that's the end, right? That's the end of the episode, pretty much? Mm, yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I w- so one thing that irrationally bothered me about this at the end. Okay. He takes his shoes off, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But then never puts on other shoes to walk outside. And then also... He does. No, he doesn't. Not in the first episode. He slips his... Yeah, he slips his feet. He, they, you just don't see it on mm-hmm. camera like he does in other episodes. But he slips his shoes on. Uh, my guess is that was something that they changed. Because over time, and you saw that one in the other episode, like there's more of an impact of him doing that. Yeah. So it's um, much like Bob Ross's first episode for Joint Painting. I got the sense that this one definitely more produced, more heavily produced and had a heavier mm-hmm. hand with like a, you know, directors and, and stagehands and all that stuff. I'm sure there's there with, with film production and, and media production like that. It still felt like the beginning burgeoning steps of something that ends up becoming so big, so much bigger than they probably ever could have imagined. Yes. And I'm, a, I'm I yes. like that kind of stuff. So um, I'm not shitting on Mr. Rogers at all. I'm not. That's good. I just think it's really funny. <laughs> And and interesting to look back on it with um, the critical eye because I've never watched as a kid. I just never did. Um, oh wow! So either of them really. Um, so looking back on it with the critical eye, he's my dog in the background. Do you see it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I do. That's my old futon. He likes it. Um, nice. Watching with the critical eye as as an as an adult now, with all that in my mind, is is always interesting to uh, to kind of consume that media and and pick out those moments that I'm sure were super impactful for young kids and, and children watching it. Yeah. Um, uh, I liked his little, like, you know, up, down, like moving his hand, like, you know, yep. in directing, the, come on, like directing the, ch- the child, um, which I thought was really, really cool. And, and uh, just a very interesting take on a kid's show. Yeah. So, so I, I love Mr. Rogers. Like, I, I can't tell you that I've watched every episode or anything like that, and I don't sit around and watch Mr. Rogers. But if there's, there was a great documentary that I watched. I watched the Tom Hanks ordeal. Um, I really enjoy the story of Fred Rogers mm-hmm. and what he did. Uh, Presbyterian minister, wanted to, uh, got into radio. Some of those characters he was already creating on radio. Oh. And these, he started seeing... Um, uh, television. Now, take in mind, this first episode was in 1967. Yeah. So, uh, so in 1967, he decided, uh, and he's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm from Pennsylvania, and I just have a kinship to anybody from Pennsylvania. It makes me happy. Mm. So, fuck everybody. <laughs> um, so no, Classic yeah. Pennsylvania. So, I know, I know. Um, so, watching him or, or learning his story, and then watching this particular episode, the first thing I noticed was. It's conversational. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not like Barney and and all these other kids shows that you see that are like geared towards teaching kids things. This is just very conversational. It's just yeah. Fred inviting you into this home and sort of just talking to you as if you're hanging out with mm-hmm. him and he's just being your friend. Um, I, but something and he makes the kids feel valued. Yeah. 
Like he gives them a reason to feel like, hey, he's listening to me. He cares about and because I, I know a lot of people struggle with this when they talk to children is they're so quick to want to teach children. They're so quick to want to be like, oh, yeah, that's not right. You got to do it this way. And Fred doesn't do that. Fred allows a child to explore. He allows a child to learn at their slower pace because if you think about it, everything that a child does is a little bit slower because everything is new. Mm -hmm. And we rush them around so much that, you know, who knows? It's probably why kids have so much anxiety. Um, But something that I liked about – so this this whole episode was about change. Mm -hmm. You know, Lady Elaine changed everything. Everything in this episode was all about change. I don't know if you picked up on this, but he mentioned when he was getting ready to fix the swing outside, he talked about his other swing. Do you remember that part in the very beginning? He goes and he fixes the cable. He gets the ladder. He goes out. He fixes the porch swing. Crooked, mind you. Uh, <laughs> that bothered me. It was still crooked. Uh, I um, guess not. No, I guess I must have missed well, it. He, while, he's, well, while he's swinging, he says, I had another swing out in the yard, out further. It was smaller. And he points his, you know, puts his hands like you know, it only fit one person. He goes, but it's out in the yard. That's why you've never seen it before. And then... Throughout the episode, he never makes it known that it's the first episode. Not once. Yeah. He makes it feel like it's always been. And that is something exciting because the first episode's about change. This is a new show for kids to watch. It's a change for them. And he never he lets them feel comfortable like, we're always here. And we're always going to be here for you. Um, yeah. And I thought that that was just superb writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, you know, there's a reason why he went from 1967 to 2001. Yeah. I mean, it, so, yeah, I, I think that's what I like. Now, Barbara Russell, I did have to look her up. Um, she was the one with the, uh, with the lampshades. Yeah. Uh, apparently, she was a pretty big local comedian at the time. Yeah. Uh, so that makes sense. So she was really – She seemed in, very in that quickly. Time, like, Yes, and in that time, it really reminded me of like old uh, Carol Bur- Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of had that same kind of uh, comedy. So, yeah, I I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, it was interesting that it was grant. They were funded by Sears and Roebuck. Huh. Um, that kind of I was like, huh. That, I wrote that down. But yeah, other than that, I thought it was pretty good. I liked that they kept the uh, the theme all the way through, and it was casual on mm-hmm. each section. But it remained, and it just, you know, kids are afraid of change, and it is. I mean, adults are afraid of change. Jeez. So it was kind of nice and enlightening, like, you know, change is good. Change can be bad, but change mostly is pretty good, and it's inevitable. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I really liked, really liked that episode. So Yeah, it was definitely, um, it was definitely interesting. I'm glad I watched it, because I think... At the bare minimum, at the end of the day, if all I got out of it was a reminder that change can be good, and change doesn't need to be bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect, you know? Yeah. All right, folks, so we're going to do something slightly unorthodox this episode. As you can already tell, we're about an hour and ten minutes into this episode, and it seems like we're going to run pretty long. Mm-hmm. So... Bradley, what do you think we should do about that? I think we should uh, honestly just keep going. But, but, but (laughs) it's a lot to ask for people to suffer through two hours plus of us talking about 
some dumb shit like wrestling and <laughs> some people might think some, it's a suffering of five minutes but you know it's some not dumb shit like uh, Fred Rogers and, and Bob Ross so we're gonna cut this uh, episode in half we're, okay. we're gonna cut it here we're running low on time we'll pick up this discussion next week or okay. next two weeks two, it, next yeah, month well, actually, I don't know it'll how be, this works uh, yeah, it'll be a month from now so we'll pick this um, up whenever you get the notification because uh, yeah, the next episode is going to be a wonderful above the board creativity Ooh. episode. Yes, as is usual. So, yep. I guess it's it's slightly unorthodox in the sense that we're going against our better nature of continuing our organic discussion, and instead we'll be doing a cut. So, Bradley, we've got to come up with another topic. Mm-hmm. Now that we're here, yep. the listeners have now listened to back-to-back take-a-ganders of wrestling and, well, Bob Ross and Mr. Rogers. Uh-huh. They're gonna, they're not going to hear from us anything new in like, I don't know, like a month and a half, two months as far as take-a-gander. So we got some time, uh-huh. and I know you had a cool idea, so why don't we discuss your cool idea? Okay. Uh, so I have been uh, wanting to rewatch Guy Ritchie's uh, King Arthur movie from 2017. I really like that movie. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, we were talking about what we're going to do for the next take Gander before this, throwing out some ideas, and we kind of both came up uh, pretty organically choosing five Guy Ritchie movies. We're going to choose five Guy Ritchie movies, and we're going to yeah. watch them over the course of um, recording periods. When we get back, record our next take Gander, we're going to talk about them. Just in general, we're going to discuss, I imagine, his creative style. Uh, speaking of Guy Ritchie, uh, discuss like his directing style, uh, the the way that he tells stories in his medium. Um, I believe he's a master of his medium. We'll get into it more, but we're going to be talking about yeah. Guy Ritchie movies. Um, the five we chose, uh, should we tell them or should we be surprised? Um, yeah, I think we should tell them because uh, if anybody is a listener that really follows along, maybe they want to watch them too, so they have a uh, some feeling. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if people would do that or not. Absolutely. So we're gonna start with um, we're, we're gonna watch Snatch from two thousand. Okay. We're gonna watch awesome. Revolver two thousand five. Um, yep. We're gonna watch Sherlock Holmes from two thousand nine. Ah, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, two thousand nine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Love me some RDJ. We're gonna watch King Arthur. Because I've watched it already, so we're going to do that. It's an easy one. Uh, that was from 2017. And then we're going to watch uh, The Gentleman from 2019. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about these. Oh, yeah. Should be very fun. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm looking forward. I've seen all of them, um, with the exception of Revolver. I've never actually seen that one, so I'm excited to watch that. Uh, however, I've not seen Snatch since I was in like, high school. I've not seen Sherlock Holmes since I was like in high school. Um, and then I haven't watched Gentlemen since like the beginning of the pandemic, uh, in 2020. Man. So it's, these movies weren't out when I was in high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, no, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, obviously it's going to take a little bit to get through. Uh, it should make for some pretty good, uh, discussion yeah. and yeah, I'm, I think it's a neat, uh, exercise to watch one director. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. All right, folks. Well, <laughs> oh man, I'm tired. Hold on to your hats. We'll talk to you guys again in um in two weeks with our typical above the board episode, and then in one month we'll continue this conversation. Yes. I'm your host, Jeremy. I'm Bradley. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>
I didn't know we were gonna like <laughs> just launch yourself. <laughs> so I didn't know that we were gonna like play it up. To uh, <laughs> to to quote you from an episode a long time ago, we're just riffing, man. Just improv, man. Come on, baby. Just, just improv and then sort of lie to my face <laughs> for the <laughs> benefit improv. of the audience. Hey, hey, that's that's I was riffing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try this uh, again.